Today I want to welcome Sarah Lazar to the show. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Uh, Sarah, I wanted to uh, delve into the meditation and yoga. And I know uh, you have a lot of experience in that field. I saw your TED talk uh, about four years ago. Uh-huh. What effects uh, yes. meditation have on our brain? But first, Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Yes. So I've been doing research on yoga and meditation now for about 15 years, 18 years, I guess. Um, and the question is, how do these practices impact the brain? And how do those changes in the brain then lead to long-lasting changes in behavior? Uh, and uh, you're doing research at Harvard, right? Correct. Uh, at Harvard and Massachusetts General, Har- Massachusetts General Hospital. Ah. Uh, but I'm really, really curious, uh, Sarah, how did you fall into meditation and yoga? And it was back in 1994, right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. So um, at the time, a friend and I were training for the Boston Marathon, and um, we overtrained, and I hurt my back and my knee. And so I went to see a physical therapist, and they told me, stop running and just stretch. And as I was leaving, I saw an ad for a yoga class. And so um, I started going to yoga purely as a form of physical therapy. I, at the time, I thought it was a bunch of hooey. <laughs> I didn't think very highly of yoga, um, but it, it had a profound effect on me. And it was clear that it wasn't just stretching, that it was having an impact on my mood and um, on my you know, interpersonal interactions. And um, so I decided to switch and uh, do research specifically on yoga and meditation. And I've been doing it ever since. Wow. Because I believe that back in 1994, <laughs> yoga was a little bit woo-woo on uh, the alternatives, right? When you listen to that, Very yeah. much so, yes, yeah. yes. Right, so there's been quite a bit of research over the last 15 years or so. So the my work um, is looking mostly at brain structure and function. So the first study I did back in about 2005 was um, we compared long-term meditators to matched controls. And we found that there were several brain regions where the long-term meditators had more gray matter than the controls. And this suggests that... Um, um, uh, so other people had done studies showing that, for instance... Professional musicians have more gray matter in areas related to music production compared to non-musicians, um, and that people who speak more than one language have more gray matter in language areas compared to people who only speak one language. So it suggests that meditation does something to your brain. As you practice, you actually get more gray matter in those regions. Does that mean, uh, Sarah, first I have to ask you, what is gray matter? Right. So in the Yes. In the brain, we have gray matter and white matter. White matter is just the wiring, the connections. The gray matter is where the connections come together, where the neurons talk to each other. And that's where um, thinking actually happens and computation actually happens is as the neurons speak to each other. And that's all in the gray matter. So again, we know from animal studies that changes in the gray matter typically are due to changes in the branching between the neurons. Or it could also be due to changes in uh, blood flow to those regions. Does this mean, uh, if we talk about neuroplasticity, then is that the gray matter? Then uh... yes, exactly. Mm. That's one form of neuroplasticity is changing gray matter. Mm. Interesting. So we can see that actually, we can see that meditation meditation is actually changing our brain. That is extremely interesting. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. Uh, fantastic. Uh, that that is extremely fantastic. But how long do we need to meditate to, to get this lasting change? And 
the next question is how long does this last after we have meditated? Right. So those are questions we're trying to address now. Um, the, in my study, people practiced for eight weeks and they were told to practice 40 minutes a day. On average, they practiced 30 minutes a day. And we know that some people really did practice 40 minutes every day. Some people only practiced five or 10 minutes a day. Some people practiced, you know, some days, but not other days, you know, and everything in between. So we just know on average, it's 30 minutes per day. Um, in terms of other benefits of meditation, such as reductions in stress and other changes in symptoms, there's been shown to be basically a dose dependency. And so it's a lot like exercise in that, you know, the more you exercise, the more your muscles are going to change. Um, and so we think the same will be true with meditation, that if you practice probably at least 20 or 30 minutes a day for at least three or four days a week, you'll probably get some changes, um, at least in symptoms. Um, in terms of how long they last, again, we haven't done that study yet, but again, studies with people learning other new tasks have shown that, um, you know, just with anything else that you retain some, but it, then it goes away. You know, sort of like you never forget to ride a bicycle, right? But if you've ever tried to get back on a bicycle, you after many years, you know you're not quite as good. At it. <laughs> you know, and so, um, uh, but certainly that's you know what people seem to report is that you know the effects if you stop the effects tend to wear off slowly, mm. uh, but there are some lasting changes. Yeah. Uh, from my, I looked into you before we started this conversation, Sarah. So that was was mindfulness meditation that uh, you're uh, working on. But what what is the difference between uh, a, a mindfulness meditation and mantra meditation? Right. So in a mantra type meditation, you have a word, and the instruction is to re on each breath repeat this word. And you, know, when thoughts arise, you ignore the thought and you just go back to the mantra. And basically, that's it. And you know, you just do the mantra, and that's the end of the instructions. I mean, not completely, but mostly. Mm. Mindfulness. You can choose what you pay attention to. Typically, it's the breath, but it could also be body sensations. It could be sounds. Um, it could be other things as well. And again, when the mind wanders, you bring it back to your focus. But there's also an instruction to pay a little bit more attention to the quality of the mind and to notice, um, you know, uh, start noticing more than just what you're focused on. You know, that you gradually open up your awareness to more and more of the sensations mm -hmm. and so the patterns of your mind wandering, and you really become much more aware of how your mind is working. Um, and so I think that's one of the major differences between mindfulness and mantra. So in some way, you're listening to your thoughts when you do mindfulness meditation. <laughs> And you're focusing exactly. on Exactly. Uh, exactly. Uh, are there any different effects on the brain uh, or the body if you're doing uh, mantra meditation or mindfulness? Are there any differences from the, from the, from the effect from it? Do you know? Um, right. Right. That really hasn't been done. We've done a small study that kind of sort of gets at that. There are differences in the brain. Um, and there's perhaps some mild differences in the body. Uh, we It was a small study. We didn't look at a lot of different measures. We mostly just looked at, at breathing rate. And so the mantra meditation had a slightly bigger impact on breathing rate. Um, and then the patterns of brain activity were slightly different. We think of it a lot like different types of exercise. You know, often... Um, It's sort of like asking what's better, running or swimming, mm, right. right? And the answer is if you just want exercise, mm. they're the same, right? But there are subtle differences. Mm, I understand. Uh, uh, back in 2012, I think, I uh, come over as a company called Heart, uh, Heart Institute. Have you heard about them? 
Yes, I've heard of HeartMath, yes. Uh, and I've used, for the last uh, three or four years, I've used this uh, EM wave uh, for meditation. And from what I can understand, uh-huh. uh, it gives me focus and it changes my breathing pattern. Uh, have you ever looked into this uh, uh-huh. kind of tools, uh, Sarah? I have not. Um, I know there has been some research into it. Uh, I mean, certainly doing that sort of biofeedback, you know, and slowing your breathing rate, there are definitely benefits that are associated with that. Mm. Um, and again, I don't think anyone's directly compared that to meditation. Okay. Okay. I understand. But it, it, before I like, understand what you said about mindfulness, is they are pretty similar in some way because of the breathing pattern and the focus. In some ways, yeah. Mm, yeah. Exactly, yes. Yeah, uh, there's definitely some overlap. Uh, from what I can understand, and from what my from my experience, and Sarah, is that uh, I'm, I'm having some trouble with the focus when I'm trying to meditate, and that is why some tools is helping me because then I can look at the light and I can focus on the light. Uh, I do not observe my uh, my thinking in its mm. own way, in some way. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. No. Definitely. I think it's um. Again, it's a lot like exercise. You know, some people like to swim. Some people like to run. Mm. And so, you know, some people like the breath. Some people don't. Mm. Some people need a little extra, you know, guided meditation. Some people really prefer silence. So mm. it's um not you know one size does not fit all. So I understand it, this is uh, actually I haven't thought about this before you said it. So this is actually uh, some kind of you can choose the training that benefits you actually. It's a, a swimming, running walking so uh, some kind of meditation yeah. is going to give some benefit interesting exactly right and so there's probably some common benefits like i think all forms of meditation are good for reducing stress and mm. for inducing spirituality mm. but there are definitely going to be subtleties between them mm. uh, uh, what does the research show about stress and meditation uh, so far Yeah. So um, meditation seems to be extremely effective for reducing stress, uh, both self-reported stress, but also biomarkers of stress like cortisol and um, uh, inflammation. And so it seems to be very good for that. And, um, uh, you know, but it's not everybody, you know, again, some people for one reason or another don't like stress, uh, sorry, don't like meditation um, or for some reason it just, it doesn't seem to work for them. But for most people, it seems to be useful. That is extremely interesting. Do we know why it doesn't work for some people? We don't really know yet. Uh, there's been a lot of studies. There's some suggestions that um, you know, maybe have to do certain personality types. Also, it seems like some people, because um, some people, the very first time they meditate, they feel clear and calm and centered right the first time they meditate. Some people, you know, if their mind is just really active, they just don't perceive any benefit for it from it. You know, and so it may. Um, you know, so they're not benefiting from. Of course, they're not going to, you know, do it. And so, you know, maybe how it's taught, mm. um, or maybe, again, maybe that's not the right type of meditation for them. So, um, you know, I have heard, I've heard some people who start off with mantra don't like it; doesn't click for them. They switch to mindfulness, and that works for them. Mm. I've also heard people who start with mindfulness doesn't only really work for them. They switch to to mantra, and that works for them. So, you know, it's a little bit trial and error, I mm. think. Yeah, uh, is the is the posture uh, important? when you're going to meditate yes well it depends on which who which teacher you ask some traditions such as zen feel that posture is incredibly important and they put a lot of emphasis on it other traditions such as vipassana you know it's important but they don't it's okay if 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 you know it's okay if you if you 
that's sort of difficult for you, you know, and they don't put as much emphasis on it. Mm. Um, it's more the quality of your mind than the quality of your body. But certainly for energy reasons, mm. sitting with a straight spine is highly conducive to a meditative state. So it has been done research into the posture? No, no one's done research onto posture as far as I know. No, okay. And then going a little bit back to stress again, uh, from my own experience, I can uh, remember that if I, if I am extremely stressed, I'm having trouble sitting down and meditate and uh, doing meditation. Uh, are there any techniques to calm down or do something before we're trying to meditate if we are stressed? Sure. Yeah. And again, this is highly variable. Mm. Um, when I first started doing meditation, often I would do a little yoga, you know, a little stretching before, because I feel like that mm. helps release some of the physical tension in my body. Mm. Um, some people actually mix mantra and mindfulness. They might do a little mantra for a few minutes to help focus the mind, and then they switch to the mindfulness. Mm. Um, uh, you know, or flickering candles, something like that. So sometimes, you know, people will mix and match traditions a little bit. Mm. Yeah, uh, you can read uh, if if you read about meditation, you can some some places read about altered states. Yes. What is an altered state, and when <laughs> do you know that you are in an altered state? Uh, you know when you're in an altered state. It's sort of like you know, you know when you're drunk, right? <laughs> um, yeah, and so and sometimes it happens, and, so, and I guess it also depends a little bit on what you call mean by altered. Because like I said, some people. You know, your mind is chattering and just meditating sort of calms that down and quiets that down. Mm. I mean, is that altered? Maybe, maybe not. But then sometimes, for me, it's only happened when I've been on retreat. Like if I, you know, uh, I sometimes go on silent meditation retreats, like a week-long silent meditation retreat. Ooh. You know, where you're silent. <laughs> I'll take it. Right now. Very extreme. But in those cases, you can get into these kind of, weird states that are hard to, and there's a bunch of different ones, you know, but just uh, something, one of the senses gets amplified sometimes mm. or uh, things get very, very, very quiet in your mind. Um, you know, and so uh, one of my teachers described it as, you know, that doesn't really matter so much. You know, it's not about the altered state. It's about the fruits of that altered state. So it's not something you should be trying to obtain. You know, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, as a professor, uh, Sarah, I believe that uh, you are trying to learn, as you, since you are doing research, there is a, a lot of information you need to learn and adapt. Uh, does this uh, does meditation help for you to, uh, to implement your information? Ah, interesting question. Well, it's hard to tell because, you know, I'm... It's N of one. Mm. Uh, there have been some studies suggesting that. Um, I find, like, if my mind is racing and I'm, you know, sort of feeling scattered, then certainly doing a few minutes of meditation helps focus me. So mm. That certainly helps. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know because, mm. you know, if, if over time I've been able, better able to do things because of the meditation, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. Mm. Uh, from my own experience, I, if, if I... Um sense that my brain is going uh, high wire also it's racing uh, and i'm sitting down meditating uh, in some way this meditation helps me to connect the dots the, yes. i'm getting more creative why do i get more creative and why do i connect the dots better when i meditate uh, we don't know that one yet okay you know it's hard to know hmm. do we have any theories about it 
Um, I think the idea is that often, like you said, your mind goes haywire, you know, all sorts of random things are happening versus if the mind is quiet, then it can sort of do its thing and you know, without interference, hmm. you know, so sort of like having a lot of little yappy dogs running around you. <laughs> Get rid of the yappy dogs and, and focus and you can do what you need to do. So in some way, we're removing the clutter. We're removing the... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I, know this, I know that it, uh, it has been done a lot of research into um, diseases. Do you know what kind of diseases we can reduce by doing meditation? Right. So the best study is depression. There's quite a bit of de- uh, data showing that it helps reduce symptoms of depression and helps people, because prov- um, often depression sort of goes in waves and often it helps reduce the number of waves, you know, that you, so you stay above the wave, so to speak, mm. um, for longer if you meditate. Um, there's also some evidence for anxiety and pain. It can be very effective. Uh, pain? Not only for- for pain, not only for not so much for reducing the pain, but for changing the suffering component of pain. Um, that the pain's there, but you just don't. It doesn't bother you so much anymore. It doesn't interfere with your life so much anymore. Um, Why? <laughs> uh, yeah, because you change your relationship to it because it's a stressor, right? And also, ah. you um, because a lot of times, a lot of the pain is perpetuated from stress and from clinging those muscles a certain way and so by releasing and relaxing those muscles and learning to move that area differently or have a different relationship that body uh, that area of your body it changes the sensations of pain in that area wow so you can change our perceptional pain yeah yeah wow yeah there's some really nice data on that and um yeah and uh yeah so for other diseases what it shows and it's very important to say that it helps reduce symptoms mm. i don't know anyone who's ever been completely cured because of meditation but it mm. certainly greatly can greatly reduce symptoms and again it varies tremendously from person to person uh, from from my understanding uh, it seems like uh, the reason that the meditation works for anxiety and depression is because it uh, lowering the cortisol and the stress hormones Right. That's part of it, certainly, yes. But also the whole mindfulness part of seeing the mind, seeing the the patterns of the mind, you know, getting perspective on the patterns of the mind, that's also incredibly important. Ah, So the the awareness as well. Exactly. Right. So the anxiety and depression, that's really important. Wow. So so the awareness actually is is that important because the research shows that almost 40% of us are doing every day is doing an automatic. And this this 40% is becoming more clear when you get this awareness. So it's this uh, awareness of this 40% is that's the reason, some of the reasons is reducing the risk of depression and anxiety. Wow. Exactly. Wow. That's that's interesting. (laughs) Wow. Yes. I know that. Yeah, no, definitely. It's important stuff. Uh, can we perform any better when we do meditation? Perform what? Uh, for example, athletics or uh, uh, per- yeah. performance. In- um, again, there has been some data on that. Some There are definitely some cognitive skills which seem to be enhanced. So memory seems to be enhanced. Attention seems to be enhanced by meditation. Um and also definitely emotion regulation. You know, there's been big changes. One of the changes we found in the brain when we looked at, we also did a study where we looked at people before and after eight weeks of training. And we found that there was changes in the brain structure after just eight weeks. And one of the changes we found was the amygdala. 
Mm. The amygdala actually got smaller. Um, and so, uh, and other studies have we've shown that it changes how it talks to other parts of the brain. And the amygdala is the main fear part of the brain. Mm. And so it seems like, you know, how we process emotions, uh, particularly fear and anxiety, uh, gets very radically changed from meditation practice. Wow! Wow! Because people with anxiety disorders, they're getting uh, they're getting a larger amygdala. So that does yeah. that mean that uh, with uh, meditation, we can also reduce the amygdala after it, after it has been uh, been uh, growing because of anxiety. Right. That's the implication. We haven't done exactly wow. that study, but that's the implication. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> It's pretty interesting to hear that um, some techniques that's been used for thousands of years, thousands of years, has this implication into our, our lives actually. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but you said earlier that uh, if you're meditating for 40 minutes, you know, three to four times a week for eight weeks, you're getting a, an effect. Uh, do we know how? Do we know how long we need to do it to get a long-lasting effect if we stop doing it, or aren't we doing be done a research on that one? Yeah, no, there's no research on that one. But again, the idea is probably like exercise mm. that, you know, if you work out and you get a nice, beautiful body and then stop exercising. Mm. Yeah. You're getting fat again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you need to do a little to maintain it probably. So, uh, What is the reason uh, we should do yoga uh, at the same time that we're doing meditation? Right. Well, so that's the thing. So uh, again, you, there's a lot of different ways of teaching yoga. Yeah. When yoga is properly taught, it is a form of meditation. And so, um, you know, it's, uh, and so it can be taught in a very mindful way. You know, so just as you could focus on your breath or your body or you know, sensations, you could focus on the movement of your body. So, you know, as you raise your arms over your head, can you notice you know, mindfully, you know, what's going on in your mind and your body as your arms move and as you're breathing, you know, so you could, you can, you don't have to sit still to do the mindfulness. You can do it, you know, doing the yoga. Um, and so, but it's not always taught that way. Often yoga is taught more as a form of exercise, at least here in the States. So, um, so when it's properly taught though, it is a form of meditation. Uh, so it's still all about the focus and uh, yes. breathing. Exactly. Because that's one of the things when I first started doing yoga is I went to the circus and, you know, I saw the circus performers doing a lot of the same moves as I was learning in yoga. And I thought, well, what's okay. the difference between yoga and circus? Yeah. And I realized it's, it's, the, it's the intention, it's the attitude, it's the, you know, what are you aware of? And uh, you know, it is a big difference, I think. So, from what I understand, it's a lot about awareness. This yes. awareness is the key here, I understand. Uh, yeah. What do you find so interesting about uh, awareness then, uh, Sarah? What do I find so interesting about awareness? Yeah. Um, Since you're studying this for now 15 years. Or... Yeah. No. Well, so for my own meditation practice, awareness is the key to everything. I mean, I've just, I have learned so much about myself And in learning about the way my mind works, I've had a better understanding of how other people's minds work. Mm. And so that has really changed my relationship with people and the way I think about people, um, the way I think about myself and how I act. Um, and so for me, that's really been the key. Isn't, it, that, isn't that extremely interesting in our society with all this social media? We get bombarded about it with uh, inputs all day. And uh, yeah. all this input is stealing our uh, focus on ourselves. And uh, what you're saying about awareness, you're actually getting more aware of who you are. And Exactly. I talked to a lot of uh, high performers and uh, pole explorers. And mm -hmm. uh, they, see, uh, they say that uh, when they're doing these extreme uh, expeditions, 
they're getting to know themselves and their inner animal when they're getting so quiet. So yeah. That's, it's in some way it's the same form as meditation then. I think so, yes, exactly. Exactly. But back to yoga, Sarah. How often should we do yoga to get the benefits? Have you, done, have you done any research into yoga and the benefits? Yeah, no, same with meditation. Yeah, that there's not much data on that front. You know, again, there's some, you know, 10, 20 minutes a day, a couple times a week, you know, it's a good thing. Should we do it in the morning, in the evenings, or are there any right. benefits? To so, um, so uh, in the yoga traditions, you often hear people say that you should practice at 4 a.m. because that's when the energy of the universe 4 is 4 a.m.? Well, that's what yoga people tell you. Yeah, okay. I know. Wow. But I mean, are, you doing it, are you doing it at 4 a.m.? No, <laughs> no, I do not do that, no. But and that's the thing. You know, so I think if you live you know, in a yoga ashram, you know, in a yoga community, mm-hmm. then... You know, and then you're also going to bed at like eight or nine o'clock at night, mm. you know, then you can do it. But if, you know, you know, also I think it's, you have a very different schedule throughout your day for those people. So I think <laughs> most people, you know, find that, okay, first thing in the morning, you know, or maybe, you know, in the evening, I think whenever from, again, I think for us, you know, daily people who have real lives that, uh, you know, whenever we can fit it in is good. You know, I don't think there's, you know, there's maybe some benefits to doing it in the morning versus doing it in the evening, but I think those differences are minimal. And so, um, you know, whenever works for you, I think is more important. Do you think we should have a, have a goal for ourselves when we start to meditate? Um, That's sort of interesting. Some people like that and like, structure and other people really bulk so i think you know and like and so some teachers say like you have to do this and you have to do it this way and some teachers students really like that and some students really don't and so i think you know you have to you know if that's how you're working if that works for you then great yes mm. uh but if you sort of find yourself you know sort of chafing at that then you know doing what you can is a good thing uh in the u.s i believe that tm is a pretty uh, popular yes popular thing uh is TM uh, a kind of focused uh, meditation like uh, mantra yoga? Yeah, TM is, Sorry. TM is definitely a mantra meditation, yeah. Uh, has there been done any research into that kind of uh, meditation? <laughs> yeah, there's been quite a bit of research on TM. Um, and, you know, again, sort of like meditation, it impacts the brain, it impacts the body. Um, you know, there hasn't been a direct, comp- uh, a direct comparison between the two. Okay. Uh in the studies that uh, it also uh, helped to live longer what, uh, is that because of the awareness and the reduce in uh, inflammation and the stress hormones um, I don't know if I've seen data showing that it lives longer it helps promote cognition longer at least our okay. data okay yeah, and then some other people have shown um, the ends of chromosomes, and the ends of chromosomes are something called telomeres, which are just, um, it's often described like the end of a, of a shoelace, you know, how the ends of shoelaces get mm. unraveled. Mm. And so the telomeres sort of help keep them nice and neat and uh, whatnot. And, that, uh, and that's uh, one of the best markers of longevity. And so meditation helps keep the ends of the chromosomes neat and tidy and helps lengthen them um, and helps prevent them from being degraded. And so that is the implication that it should help promote uh, longevity. But I don't know that anyone's actually demonstrated no, longevity. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but, then, but then our data is showing cognition. And so we know that as we get older, our brain starts to break down and it's why we slow down, our processing speed slows down and we get a little it's a little harder for us to figure things out. And meditation seems to help preserve some of those functions. Is that because of the gray matter? Yeah, we think so. 
Uh, so when we're getting uh, older, we start to forget this, uh, for, forget stuff. And yeah. So does that mean that as we're getting older, we should learn new stuff all the time to yeah. keep the gray yeah, matter? There's, yeah, there's actually a lot of data on that now. That yeah, just learning anything new is good. You know, and uh, and so meditation that's not unique to meditation. You know, so um, but it does seem like you know meditation is one way of of doing it. Uh, if I remember correctly, does uh, the brain size shrink after a year, or after we get twenty-five years old? Does it start to shrink yeah. after twenty-five? Yeah, is that correct? Yeah, mid twenties, it starts to shrink. Ooh, scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so does does that mean that you should learn something new like uh, language, meditation? Are there any studies into what we should? I don't know. This is not your field, Sarah. But uh, right. are any studies into what you should do to keep the grandmothers um, happy? Right. Yeah. No. Definitely. There's most of the research shows that it should be something fairly complex. So, for instance, if you already know two or three languages, adding another language may or may not be useful. You know, if that's something easy for you. So, it'd be something that's a little bit challenging for you. So, if languages are easy for you, maybe learning something related to say math or science might be better. Um, you know, and those things like crossword puzzles and, and these sorts of things, you know, they're good. Mm. But if those, if you always do the same crossword puzzle, that's not going to help you. You need to, you know, you need to do some other type of thing. Um, also, exercise is really good and social interaction is really good. You know, definitely, you know, being socially active helps promote, you know, longevity of your brain. So actually living. We need to live a yeah. lot more. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and push ourselves uh, even more. Yeah, uh, yeah. If we're getting back to the meditation uh, uh, here, Sarah, uh, are there any f- any techniques that you can uh, that you can teach in uh, just a few minutes? Because because I, I know uh-huh. a lot of people have never done uh, meditation and they really can't grasp the concept of it. I've heard about meditation a lot of times before I did it, but I couldn't I couldn't grasp because I couldn't right. understand it. Right. No, I understand. Yeah. So, um, sure. I mean, it's real simple. So, um, so you should, uh, oh, so let's, so I'll invite your listeners to, uh, spend a moment here just checking in. So just scan your tension through your body. You're starting at the top of your head and just move your attention down through your head, down your arms, through your torso, into your legs and into the feet. And just get a sense of, okay, what does your body actually feel like? And then move attention specifically to your belly. And as you inhale, notice your belly expanding. And try to actually feel the muscles. So rather than sort of from the outside looking, imagine, you know, really being inside yourself and really feel the skin and muscles of your belly expanding. Feel your diaphragm, uh, uh, you know, expanding your rib cage. You can really feel the the muscles between your ribs expanding as you inhale, and then as you exhale, can you feel them all releasing and relaxing back to baseline? And of course, then your mind's going to say, "Oh, I can do that. What's the big deal about that?" <laughs> So just notice, ah, my mind was just speaking. Can I push that aside and just focus on just the sensations? And when thoughts arise, I'm just going to ignore them, push them aside, and just focus on the sensations. Because really, meditation is about focusing on one sensory channel and just really getting very intimate in that. And that's what helps us stabilize our attention. 
from from what I can understand, is that we are using visualization a lot when we are doing mindfulness meditation. It's certainly part of it. But what you want to try to do is really try to get away from the visualization and really get into somatosensory, you know, into touch, you know. And so, yes, you always, because it's really hard to sh- turn off visual imagination, mm. but as much as possible, you really want to s- try to stay in, in somatosensory. So it's the feeling um, you want. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And really stick with the sensations, you know, and again, there's going to be, yeah, that's really hard. But that's, you know, but with practice, it gets easier and easier. Mm. And then, of course, emotions will come up like, I don't like this, oh, maybe, <laughs> you know, whatever, mm. you know, and all these other thoughts. And so then you just have to say, okay, that's just the mind. I'm going to ignore that. And so in that way, you asked a question about, you know, sort of setting an intention or setting a, a, you know, so it's useful to say, okay, no matter what, I'm going to sit down and do this for five minutes right? We're going to sit and do this for 10 minutes. Mm. And so, and then of course, and so you're going to think, oh, I've got to do all these other things right now. I've got all these you know, important things I need to do. Put that aside and say, no, I committed to doing this for five minutes and just do it for five minutes. You know, and so that can be useful or 10 minutes or 20 minutes or however long you said you're going to do it. Mm. Um, you know, because all sorts of thoughts are going to rise up. And so just sort of saying, okay, those thoughts, they're distracting me and just go back to your focus. So it's all about... Uh pushing the thoughts that is coming into your mind to, to decide them. And that can be a little bit tricky <laughs> from my, uh, from my yeah. experience because pl- suddenly you are on a train with this thought <laughs> exactly. <laughs> without, without, know, without knowing it. Exactly. And that's part of it though. I mean, that's a really important, the fact that you notice that hmm. is part of meditation. It's to say, oh, my mind got lost. I got on the train, right? So can, you know, so then with practice, what happens is you start to see the thoughts arise and you start to see yourself getting onto that thought train. And then you say, wait, no, I don't want to do that. I'm supposed to be paying attention to my breath. So then you get off the thought train and get back on the breath. Ah. And so again, practice, it gets, you know, get better and better and better at that. So that is actually meditation. Yes, exactly. Because I think so. The, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So the word meditation, the original word back in 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 uh, the language of of the Buddha, the word actually means to remember. And the idea is that you're constantly remembering to pay attention and not to get lost in thought. That's the opposite. A lot of people think about meditation. Exactly. Wow. Because the first time I heard the word meditation, I thought I was going to go into some some sort of Zen mode and sit there and focus <laughs> on something. Exactly. Ah, yeah. Yeah. That's understand. extremely difficult. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's why a lot of people stop. It's because a lot of people feel like, oh, you know, they're gonna sit and they're gonna mm. enter this state and of course that doesn't happen, so then they're disappointed. Mm. So, you know, it's it's good to know that, yeah, no, this is this is normal. This is what happens mm. and it's all good. So it's actually our perception of meditation that is, from from my perception at least, has been wrong before. So yeah. interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I just read a book called Stealing Fire, I think, from uh, Stephen Kotler. Uh-huh. Uh, and it uh, and from that book they said that a lot of uh, CEOs and uh, and uh, entrepreneurs are starting to use uh, silent uh, treatments as uh, yeah. something they do uh, as you said in the, in the beginning here Sarah you have done this can you please elaborate on why people do silent treatments right so um, so when you sit for 5, 10, 15 minutes things start to quiet down and, and you really start after a while start to see that there's a benefit from sitting and so uh, for me um, 
you know, I just, you know, I'd heard about retreats and I heard some people talking about how, you know, it's even better when you go on retreat that you get to even quieter places and, you know, so sort of these deeper states and you just, you see a lot more because, you know, even just five, 10 minutes, you just, things slow down a little bit. But when you go on retreat, things get real quiet in your mind and you really see things that you've never seen before. Um, and it just, it was a, it's very transformational. Um, and so, you know, after I did the first one, I was like, wow. And so then of course I want to do another one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So deciding to do the first one was a big decision and sitting through the first one was, it was hard, but, um, you know, it's powerful. You can also do like one day retreats. There's a lot of, you know, and I I actually started, I did a few one day retreats first. And again, those were really good, better than just, you know, five, 10 minutes. Hmm. Um, you know, and so, so it's, it's, uh, it's powerful stuff. Uh, Back in 2011, I experienced panic attacks, and uh, that's what, that was when I started to do meditation. Uh, but I can remember back when I had these panic attacks, it was extremely hard to start meditating. Yeah. Uh, do you have any techniques or uh, explanation to why it is beneficial to do uh, meditation when you're having anxiety, panic attacks? Well, right. So that was actually interesting. Someone actually did a study about that. We're comparing sort of a mindfulness form of meditation. Well, that's not true. There was one study with mindfulness for panics and one study for mantra for panics. And the you know the mantra type meditation for panics does not work, but the mindfulness does. And the idea is that you know when you're having that panic attack, you know someone tells you, oh, just calm down. That doesn't work. You know? <laughs> oh, you know, just for you know, sure that breath. doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. But with instead, I said, okay. You know, don't focus on that. You know, your your mind is racing, your heart is beating. Just focus on your heart beating, okay? And because you can have anything can be the focus of your meditation with mindfulness, right? It doesn't have to be the mantra. It doesn't have to be the breath. It can be the feelings associated with this base racing heart. You know, and the tightness in your chest. The, the thoughts racing through your mind. Can you just step back and say, "Oh, there's thoughts racing through my mind." Can you just see them as thoughts? Hmm. And so then that often changes your relationship to what's happening in your body because you're not trying to stop it. You're not trying to control it. You just sort of step back and you see it in a whole new way. So mindfulness is actually highly effective for, for, for panic attacks is my understanding. So in some way you're changing the perception of, uh, of the anxiety then. Exactly. And so what I'd like to think of is this, you know, you see your friends and your relatives and whatnot, and you sort of see, you know, they have a big reaction and you think, well, that was silly for them to have such a big reaction to that, right? You know, or they do something that's silly. And it's so easy for everyone else to see that this person's acting in an odd way or having, you know, overreacting in some way. Hmm. But of course, that person doesn't see it. And what I find with mindfulness is mindfulness is sort of being able to step outside of yourself and you start to seeing yourself the way other people see you. Um, or you start to see some of these things in a way other people see it. And so you start to realize that, oh yeah, that was a silly thing that I was getting upset about, or, oh yeah, you know, there is no reason to be upset here, Hmm. you know? And so, um, and so I think for that, you know, for that, me, that has been very, very powerful. Uh, so in some way you are slowing down and becoming more aware of feelings then. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. And that's my next question. Uh, when we are getting uh, caught up in a feeling, let's, for example, say a bad feeling. We are never running from a good feeling. We all want to run from a bad feeling. So yeah. if we are in an extremely bad feeling, how can we use meditation to uh, overcome this feeling? Right. So the instruction is to just let it happen. 
And that is extremely easier said than done. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, definitely. Definitely, 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 yeah. But can you just breathe into it and just, again, try to disengage from all the thoughts and just stick with the sensation? So let's say you're angry at someone, right? Mm. So instead of saying, oh, I can't believe this person did that, and they did this, and they did that, and, and I, you know, I'm justified, mm. let that story go for a while and just notice, okay, when I think about this person, my body gets tight, right? And then can you just notice the tightness? And then can you release and relax that tightness? Notice the thought patterns of like, oh, and again, and also trying to identify all the different emotions because often it's not just anger, right? There's often also maybe a little bit of pride, mm. maybe, you know, oh, they hurt my feelings. Maybe there's a little bit of maybe jealousy. Maybe there's a little bit of resentment. Often strong emotions are not just one emotion. Often they're composed of like five or six different emotions. And so if you can start to see some of those little smaller emotions and sort of attack each of, or not attack, but, you know, sort of work with each of those individually, then mm. that also helps um, break up the anger. And so then it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm angry because my pride was hurt. Mm. Okay. So then if you can get, you know, so then you work with the pride being hurt and then that helps you then maybe be a little less angry with the person. So we can use the meditation to change our perception of each feeling then. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh. Uh, because you're also working as a psychiatrist. Does that uh, remember correctly now, Sarah? No, actually, I'm not. I work in a psychiatry department. But ah, I am that, okay, not, okay. I'm a basic scientist, but this all I've learned all this through my own meditation practice. Like I said, I've learned this, you know, ah, because I, I walk. got angry, <laughs> you, know? I, you know. And so yeah. then I understand. And then I talked to my friends, and you know, they, they, yep, they had a similar experience with their meditation. So it's, uh, and that's what I mean. It's like you really learn a lot about yourself. You learn about how the mind works in general, so you understand how other people's minds work. I, I just wanted to elaborate on this last one. Uh, because from my experience, if uh, if I had a bad feeling, uh, I, I had real trouble uh, getting into this feeling because uh, I was saying to myself, okay, I said, accept the feeling, accept the feeling, accept the feeling. And, uh, I, and, I, and I couldn't get it. So I just, ah, forget it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go go no, for a run instead. <laughs> exactly. And sometimes, and, you know, sometimes if the feeling's really strong, maybe you do need to go for a run. Yeah. But then maybe after the run, you've calmed down a little bit and then you can do the meditation. Mm. I, I'm just uh, curious about the, the technique. Can you uh, can you help me a little bit? How, how do we get into this feeling and how can we divide it up to, up to the other feelings that is the reason right so again i mean it's sort of um it's helpful to sort of step back and mm. to sort of decide you're going to pick one thing to focus so either you're going to focus on body sensations or you're going to focus on the mind mm. and so let's say like, again so someone did some said something mm. right and so instead of getting lost in the story of well he said this and i said that and maybe i could have said this try to really focus on okay well when he said that hmm. how did i feel right why did i get angry with this person when they said that right and so really trying to and sort of it's i like to think of it sort of like um again imagination like imagine watching a movie and sort of pausing the the movie and replaying that little bit over and again you know and so the, okay when he said that exactly you know what was going through my mind when he said that like what's what are the thoughts that are going through my mind? How did my body react when he said that? Um, and you replay it, and you get a, a real feel for all the different things that were happening at that moment when that person did something to make you angry. And then you play a few more seconds and sort of say, okay, well, so then I said this. Okay, well, what was your intention behind saying that? What was your you know what was the thoughts were going through your head? How did your body feel when you said that? So then the other person responded again. So then you know so you sort of play through each part of the movie 
you know, a couple of times to really get a sense of the, of all the different things, thoughts and feelings that were going through you, you know, and each little part of the movie. Um, that, that for me, that's at least how it's been useful. So you're starting to ask yourself questions and you're, and then yeah. you're starting to answer the questions and getting some, um, some closure. Getting exactly. some answer. Ah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, earlier, I talked about talked to Dr. Jordan B. Peterson. He's uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, earlier been at Harvard, I think, uh, and he said something that uh, if you're getting um, a memory that is uh, re- reoccurring, a negative memory that is more than eighteen months old, I think, he said that that's because your mind haven't found a solution for it. Mm, yeah. Uh, so, from my understanding, you're using mindfulness then to find the solutions for. The reoccurring or can yes. for a rec- ah, ah, cool. yeah, ah. definitely, and that's definitely that's one of the things that happens to me on retreat. Is often I remember one time I was on retreat. Um, you know, here I was, I was in my late twenties, hmm. and um, all of a sudden a memory from when I was in fourth grade popped into my mind. I got into this huge fight with another girl on the <laughs> playground in fourth grade, and I got sent to the principal's office. What? And, yeah, oh no, it was, it was a big fight. We were like, you know, pushing on each other. You know, it was it was bad. You know, we got in trouble and the whole thing. And I was so embarrassed about the fact that I had been sent to the principal's office. You know, I'm a good girl. I did not get sent to the principal's office. You know, and, and but then I buried that memory because, of course, it never happened again. Mm. You know, we, we made up in the whole thing. But, you know, all of a sudden I was sitting there meditating and this memory of being deeply embarrassed and being in front of the principal came up out of nowhere. And it's because I hadn't processed it, you know, because I just buried it. Mm. And so it came out. And so then, you know, you know, 20 years later, I was able to deal with it, <laughs> um, <laughs> I it in the proper way. And so, uh, you know, and so that was really, really useful, you know, because it was there. It was buried. But then, you know, it, it, it had its moment in the light and you know i got unburied yeah uh, you really found a tool that really works for you sarah yeah definitely yeah uh, yeah what are you researching now so right so we're following up on the on the on the aging uh uh mostly right now so we're taking because um, all of our studies have been in younger people so now we're recruiting people who are over 65 and we're putting them through this eight-week program to see you know in the you know, do older brains, can older brains change, right? And can we slow down cognitive decline in older older people? So in some way, you hope to stop the declining for older people. Exactly. <laughs> Wouldn't that be extremely uh, interesting if meditation can stop the reduce or reduce the risk of aging? Yeah. But after talking to you now for uh, 50 minutes, uh, from my understanding, is that the meditation in some way helps to reduce uh, the the stress hormones. It yep. it brings awareness, and when we get this awareness, we get clarity. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. me- so meditation in some ways is uh, also changing the breathing pattern because when yep. we're getting clarity, we're also changing our breathing pattern. What happens when we change our breathing patterns in the meditation? Um. Not so much. Um, you know, for that matter. Yeah. Uh, you know, because again, there's definitely there's changes in cortisol, there's changes in inflammation. 
I don't know that they've necessarily linked that to breathing because I don't think um, we did one small study where we compared slow breathing to meditation and we saw differences in, in heart rate variability, which is a measure of how dynamic your heart is. Oh, interesting. Um, so, kind of, yeah. On that one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, so people with heart disease, what happens is that their heart, the 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 pattern of heart beating becomes more steady. So the way to think of it is, say you know you're sitting here right now, and suddenly the fire alarm went off, and you had to jump up and run out. You want your heart to be able to very quickly change, and you know um, you'll be able to speed up very quickly so that you can run, and so um, uh, you know and get away from the fire. And so if you get older. In general, as you get older, your your heartbeat becomes less variable, mm. and then if you have heart disease, it becomes even you know very very little variability. And so mm. this has a lot of problems because you know maybe you don't have fire alarms, but you know there's a stressor at work. If your heart's less able to, or you're just getting standing up, mm. you know often your heart needs to beat a little faster as you stand up because you require a little more blood as you stand up. And so people with heart disease often have trouble with this. Mm. And so it's well known that a more more variability in the heart rate is a healthier state. So with slow, deep breathing, there was a small increase in that variability. But with meditation, there's exact same change in breathing rate, but the meditation had more, had even more increase in variability beyond just the effect of slow, deep breathing. Ah, oh, interesting. So isn't, uh, if I remember correctly, is that because uh, of the, um, if you're getting a D block, for example, when you're getting older, because of, because of heart disease, uh, then, right. then the pulse can't uh, change so rapidly because of the because of Ex the, yeah exactly yeah Ele electricity information to our heart if I remember correctly so uh -huh, exactly. so uh, so it actually shows that meditation can help that one. Yeah, are there any are there any explanations for that, uh, Sarah? No, we don't really know too much about that one yet. It's definitely something I want to investigate more, but I haven't quite gotten there yet. <laughs> that, I can, that, I, that I can understand. Yeah. Uh, I think I have uh, asked all the questions I have for uh, meditation at the moment. And uh, it, 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 this conversation really brought me clarity about what meditation oh, actually is. Uh, and, uh, and at the same time... Uh, I understand even more how important it is to get the clarity and get the awareness, because uh, I work as a mental trainer, uh, and uh -huh. and I can and I see that people are get are, are having real problems with getting the awareness. They can't understand the awareness. They understand they they believe they are aware of all their thoughts and all the all their actions, but mm -hmm. they, but they are not. Right. <laughs> not, exactly. Uh, not that. Not at all. Uh, right. Do you know if there are any any studies into the awareness and our perception of it? Sort of. Okay. <laughs> that's a hard one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's hard to study, mm. and so um, there's a little bit they call it introspective accuracy. So there's been a little bit with that to say okay. that people are a little bit better able to. You know, people who meditate are a little bit better than people who don't meditate at, at that. You know, there's been like one or two studies, not a lot, but a little bit. Yeah, okay, so so we have studies that shows that uh, that is possible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are there any study, any other studies uh, that I haven't asked about that you believe that others uh, should know, Sarah? 
Oh, well, that's the nice thing is at this point, there's been several hundred studies looking at many different aspects of meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, group and I are actually starting to write a couple of review articles. And so it's very clear that meditation changes emotion regulation, you know, and it really helps uh, with different aspects of emotions. It also, there's quite a bit of evidence suggesting that it changes different aspects of cognition. And then also it changes what we're calling self-related processes. So what is that? <laughs> yeah. So how one views the self and how one, um, so one of it is like, again, like an in, in, ability to see inside yourself an ability. Most of us are more on the physiological level, um, but sort of, uh, uh, you know, how you view the world. So the, there's still some evidence on that front as well. So there are studies that shows that we've changed our worldview then. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Is that be- is that because when we are meditating, we are starting to ask questions, and then we change because we're getting new answers? Right, exactly. And we think it's sort of cyclical, right? Like sort of like I said, like you start to see how your mind works, mm. then you understand how other people's minds work, and so then mm. that gives you that starts to change things and how you see people and how you see things, and then um, you know, and it builds on itself. Interesting. Uh, uh, just a couple more questions, uh, Sarah. If you are, uh, I want your uh, opinion on it. Uh, if you are in a stressful day, uh, a lot of people are stressed. Uh, yeah. What happens if we are stressed and we do not do meditation? Uh, yeah. Well, that's that's easy. Uh, I'd love to take on that. Yeah, because you know, stress is bad for the body. Yeah. You know, chronic. A little bit of stress is good, but mm. chronic high stress is not so good. And this is actually a question we get a lot. You know, because a lot of people say, "Oh, yeah, I thrive on stress." No, you do not. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes and no. Not, so not there's bad. something. It's called um. Uh, it's there's it's it's called a U-shaped curve, and what we find is okay. that. Um, you know, cause when there's no stress, mm. we're bored yeah. when there's a little bit of stress, things mm. get interesting, right? Yeah, you get true. interested and intrigued. And then when there's just the right amount of stress, you know, it's the idea is if there's a challenge that you can solve, mm. right. And that is doable mm. and that is fun to do, mm. then that's ideal, mm. right. And that that's actually optimal performance mm. and optimal health. Mm. But then if this challenge becomes a little harder or it gets to be something we can't do because of the time commitment or time pressure, or because it just is too complicated, or there's you know just too much demands, then that pushes over into disease, and so we see that you know so that chronic high stress without any relief and without any reward, mm. that leads to a lot of illnesses, you know, or exacerbates any illnesses you might have, and it predisposes people to illnesses. We actually get the chronic high cortisol, the chronic high inflammation, mm. so heart disease, diabetes, you know, all these different diseases are are related to chronic high stress that's unmanageable. Yeah. If you're having high cortisol over a long period of time, but you're getting this uh, cortisol lowered, uh, let's say you're meditating for 30 minutes then, but you haven't removed all the obstacles that is causing stress. So you are, you are stressed, but this 30 minutes, you're lowering your cortisol, and then you're getting stressed again. Are you then lowering the risks for getting these diseases? It's not, I don't think anyone's done that study Per se. I mean, certainly what they've done is they've put people in a stressful situation. Like they made people do public speaking, which is very stressful. Oh, yeah. And, and, and then they had to meditate, you know. Um, and when they saw that, yes, the meditation can reduce this cortisol. But then, you know, if you put them back in the stressful situation, does it help prevent the rise again? I don't know. But you might be at a lower level. You know, so again, if you think of it sort of like, um, 
uh, you know, like the tide, you know, mm. if the tide goes out really far, then even if it comes in a little bit, you know, it's still lower than if it had just gone out a little bit. So, you know, that's one way to think about it. Mm. Um, and so, and again, because if you, you know, with the, with the mindfulness and being able to see things, sometimes that helps you realize, okay, well, this is an unrealistic demand. This is something I can't do. I'm not going to worry about it. I know I can't do this. I'm not going to worry. I'm going to do the best I can. I'll do what I can, what I can but I'm not going to worry about that. And I'll, or it changes how you think about challenges. And so that may also help with some of the challenge as well. Or you may realize, okay, this is not the job for me and I need to switch jobs or I need mm. to get a different situation or, or whatever. Mm. So, um, you know, that there's, other, there's many different ways that meditation could potentially help there. Yeah, and the reason must be because when we're getting stressed, we are making something more important than it actually is in our mind, and that's we're getting stressed. Exactly. Yeah. So when we're getting this awareness, then we're coming it down. Uh, the last question, uh, Sarah. Uh, mm-hmm. Does deep meditation have the similar effect as light sleep? Um, again, we don't know. Um, there are some suggestions, but the, that study has not actually been done. Okay. Uh, at least not well. So mm. it's sort of, uh, there is some suggestions that there's some overlap. Um, mm. Certainly in the EEG patterns, there's some overlap, but it's not really clear exactly. Uh, you said something about um, the heart rate variability, HRV earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. Are there any other, other studies into HRV and meditation? Um, yeah, there's been a couple of studies showing that it helps increase heart rate variability. Oh, so it does that? Yeah. Then I have to say thank you so much for the time, Sarah. Oh, this thank you. This is ver- very, very educational. Thank you for having me.